we're just going to keep thinking of things as we go, basically, yeah, here. Yeah, there's so much to talk about. Yeah. Welcome to VCR, a vintage cinema rewind. We're bringing old movies to new viewers. Yep. <laughs> just getting even better with our intros as yeah, we go. Yeah, I feel like we got it, like add some like i should add something but i hadn't thought of it yet until like you had already said the thing yeah that's true eventually we'll have this down pat yeah all right uh this week we got a kind of a different episode here and i'm kind of excited to try a new kind of template with you a little bit yeah yeah it'll push your boundaries a little and uh we're excited for the new matrix coming out yeah the matrix resurrections yeah so we're going to be looking at the trilogy that predates this new movie mm-hmm. and explaining that overall so that we and uh you viewers or listeners can have a good idea of what happened and what to pay attention to for the new movie yeah there's so much to dive into with the matrix series that you almost need to have a bit of a primer here to kind of understand all of the kind of things going on, the theological ideas, the concepts, the characters, just everything happening. It's really good to kind of get this in before going and seeing that fourth movie. Because the fourth movie is under wraps, basically, with the plot and the storyline, and Knowing the Wachowskis, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of kind of deep ideas in this and probably even some callbacks to the first three movies and maybe some of the wider Matrix universe as well that it's definitely going to help with our understanding and probably our enjoyment of Resurrections as well. Yeah, exactly. And what I'm most looking forward to is seeing the difference in the time periods because so much time has passed since the third and the final of the original trilogy that um with how everything has gone in the past like 20 years almost so much would have changed like how how can they what are they going to do to add on and add something new yeah that's a great point actually as well because think about how impactful the matrix the first movie and the series in general was on not only sci-fi but life in general and and cinema and just everything really that it's going to be interesting to see if they can tread new ground while also not alienating super fans yeah yeah and doing it for the fans would be like just for the fans might be too much so they really have to balance that they have to bring in new fans and show something new that hasn't been done while also respecting everything that like the legacy of the trilogy yeah like i really hope that there are new fans that come out of the fourth matrix movie and go back and explore some of this not only the the tri- the original trilogy but some of some of the add-on material here and we'll get into that a little bit later too because there is some interesting stuff out there and yeah. just uh, the amount of depth and and how much is covered out in the extended media is, is pretty incredible i spend basically all day today doing matrix research on extended material yeah yeah that's really exciting and 
will this continue into a further trilogy? We'll find out with the end of this movie how they leave it off. Is it just like a one and done? Or is it going to be a new trilogy? And with all the new technology since 2003 when the third came out, this could be just absolutely mind-blowing with like where they go with it. And it could be interesting as well if they decide to tread where they ended up going in the early 2000s with kind of the extended universe. That's kind of a big thing right now is extended universes, right? Yeah. And so we'll see if it follows maybe that same uh, formula that the originals did with the games and comics and cartoons, etc. I I think that there could be something there, at least with the video games. And I'll get into that a little bit later. Overall, we are very excited to be speaking about the trilogy and looking forward very much to the new movie. I have seen these movies so many times at this point. You could probably classify me as a Matrix super fan. I, I think I'm at that point. And even knowing the films as inside and out as I do, spending an entire day learning new material and uh, all the interesting side bits kind of going on and the lore of the Matrix universe was really interesting. So, uh, and again, I'm going to point you a little bit in some interesting directions of maybe if fellow super fans out there if you haven't explored these areas that i would recommend and maybe where i wouldn't recommend going yeah sounds fun all right so before we kind of dive into the movies um so the plan the plan is essentially we're going to be diving into the plots of each film again this is going to be a very different format from maybe what you're used to as a listener where we generally get into kind of the history of the film, you know, the effects, the, all that sort of stuff, maybe why you should be watching it. This is purely just a Matrix pl- primer, understanding the universe, the plot, the the history, all of that, and so that you can go into the fourth movie understanding what's going on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's been 20 years almost, so it's completely fair if you haven't brushed up. This would be a great way to be primed on the new movie, yeah. Yeah, because we're exploring three movies here, so already we're looking at maybe seven to eight hours of footage. You've got the Animatrix, another hour and 40. You've got a whole library of comics, video games, posts online, etc. You're going to sink a lot more time than the two hours kind of exploring this with us or less. Yeah. That's yeah. that's the target is two hours or less on this one. <laughs> uh, well, I think we can do it. Well, in that case, we better dive in. But before we do, uh, just a quick where you can watch all of these movies before I forget. So again, justwatch.com is a great spot to find anything, especially if you're looking at this later. But anyway, right now, the first Matrix movie is streaming on Crave or on a Stars add-on. So basically through Crave or through Prime, you get that extra channel. Matrix Reloaded and The Matrix Revolutions is streaming on Netflix. So you got to have a couple of different streaming sites there. The Animatrix is not crucial viewing, in my opinion, especially not for the fourth movie. But if you do want to check it out, it's available only to rent currently. But you can rent it on any platform, essentially, that allows renting. So think Prime or Apple or whatever, basically. 
And then the fourth movie, Resurrections, in theaters, December 22nd. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) (laughs) And it's also actually streaming on HBO Max for a month, beginning on the same day. So if you're not feeling the whole COVID vibe stuff, you can watch it at home with that subscription. You probably have to pay for an edition. I think that's usually how it works on those kind of streaming platforms. That's how they get you. I mean, if you got to pay for HBO Max for a month and watch a bunch of great HBO, shows i don't see much downside in that yeah that's completely fair all right let's get started the first matrix movie you uh got some plot summary for us yeah yeah i do let's go so i guess one thing i'll say before we kind of hop into this too is we've already done our deep dive on the original matrix movie in the last episode so if you if you really want to understand if the matrix series is for you or not I would say go back to the last podcast and check it out. Even the la- the first 30 minutes of it, we really dive into who it's for, what the genres are like, what you're, what you're going to expect heading into The Matrix. And so that's, that's a pretty good primer already on if you've never seen The Matrix movies, whether or not you're going to enjoy it and what's kind of in store for you. Yeah, and that really, the first film really set the vibe. Like they really cornered this one specific market of what sci-fi could be at a time when it wasn't really explored as much it's the same thing you could compare to superhero films you know the the 90s had some real mixed bags in there oh yeah like some batman nipples kind of mixed (laughs) bags but uh you know there's not enough nipples anymore (laughs) especially in the batmans Yeah, you're probably right. (laughs) But anyway, yeah, so it's it's kind of a similar trajectory a little bit. And and this film just introduced audiences to so many, not even new concepts, but just perfected them or brought it to new new viewers, basically. And new levels. Yeah, and new levels in a way that we're trying to bring old movies to new viewers kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. They really set the bar with the first one. So definitely go listen to that podcast. Watch that first uh, Matrix. Yeah. And um, And it's all downhill from there. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. The Matrix is about great leather jackets, iconic sunglasses, choices, and belief. Yeah. Choices and belief is a great point yeah you need the leather jackets and the sunglasses in there and the the shooting scenes and the fight scenes yeah and, but the uh choices and belief really are essential to the whole exploration that the film goes into that's really the crucial point of the theological aspects for sure like there there's a lot of exploration and each movie uh kind of dives into and explores like one kind of main idea and choice is really important in the second film which we're going to get into as well Mm. a little bit so but still important in this in the first film but belief is almost the the crucial idea in the first film yeah i i would say they go hand in hand you kind of have to choose to believe but that that might that's part of where we go with this discussion and that's where the movies are kind of going so i'll start off now with um, a plot summary of the first and why choices are so important. Yeah, sounds good. So in the first Matrix movie, we are introduced to Neo, 
who during his regular life is Thomas Anderson. He's a office jockey at work, but at night he's Neo the hacker. He is on a quest for knowledge in the sphere of hacking where he finds out that there's something called the Matrix Mm -hmm. and he's trying to find Morpheus and Trinity who are seemingly the two key leaders of the search for knowledge in this area. They reach out to him and... Neo is kind of set on this path of discovery and learning maybe a, a little bit about the Matrix. He just gets enough like to kind of stay interested in kind of what's happening. It's like he's getting breadcrumbs yeah. from what he's hacking online. He's re- like in this like dark web kind of area where they're looking for the truth mm-hmm. because something seems off. Mm-hmm. And so Trinity and Morpheus eventually reach out to him because he's gained enough knowledge that he kind of knows there's something going on. Yeah, he's he's gained enough knowledge that basically he's put a target on his back, essentially. Yeah, yeah. And that target is them trying to save him or uh, the, whatever the Matrix is trying to like f- shut him down. Yeah, basically. Yeah. So that's when we get introduced to the agents a little bit. And there's kind of uh, a back and forth between whether or not Neo listens to these random hackers online or whether he lets the agents take him in for questioning, essentially. Yeah, and from that, he actually gets to meet Morpheus, who's this mythological figure within the hacking sphere. And he tells him the truth, and he can take the red pill and be shown the truth in like the most extreme level or he can take the blue pill and go back to his regular life as an office jockey neo takes the red pill and he because he's on this quest for knowledge and the movie really gets into the um action and the philosophical side where he's shown that He's living in a simulation, and so is everybody else. Yeah. And the simulation is run by an AI program that humans created centuries before them. Essentially, there's like an AI, basically, that humans created to benefit their own lives, but they made it, they pushed AI to its limit, essentially, enslaving the the ai race basically yeah and it got to the point where the ai pushed back and that set off a a chain of events which led to the human beings having a last ditch effort to blacken the sky basically to try to stop the solar energy and shut down all of the machines and the machines came back with an equally insane measure yeah. of enslaving the entire human race and making them into batteries, essentially. Yeah, yeah. They harvest like fields of humans. They harvest their bioelectricity mm-hmm. and to run their own programs. Yeah. So there was this battle that took place and the AI won. And now all of humanity is living within the simulated reality, which is the Matrix, where the large majority of people do not know they're in the Matrix. Neo finds out after taking the red pill. Morpheus introduces him to that, and from there, he learns that he is the one. 
or potentially the one yes, to start yeah. with. So that's where the um, choices and belief really come in. The first film really explores the understanding of what it means to believe in oneself essentially like if we go back a little bit when the agents are kind of after neo neo has presented the choice of doing something extraordinary or accepting that he's been caught by the agents and he can't bring himself to do the extraordinary and throughout the film we see that neo might not be the one because he doesn't believe in himself and he doesn't necessarily believe that he can be extraordinary mm. essentially. Yeah. And I don't know if we mentioned yet, the agents are a program within the matrix that is looking out, seeking out these anomalies like Neo who now knows the truth mm-hmm. and destroying them. Agent Smith, he's the main agent mm-hmm. and he is his, he is just such a perfect character. Yeah, Hugo Weaving, Hugo Weaving, we said this before in the last episode, but Hugo Weaving nailed it with his mm. Agent Smith role. Like, it's it's one of the most memorable roles in, in my opinion, all of cinema. It's one of the greatest villains of all time. I bet you on an all-time villain list, he probably ranks in the top 10. Yeah, yeah, definitely way up there. So, yeah, so they're essentially set in the Matrix to essentially protect the Matrix and and not allow widespread deferment from the matrix. Basically they're trying to keep as many people asleep to the idea of what's actually happening as possible. And part of that process is seeking out anyone who's left the matrix or people who potentially might be leaving the matrix and terminating them. Essentially they're the terminators of the matrix universe. (laughs) Yeah, basically. And that's very apt. Yeah. Like that's, like the his methodologies and his speech and everything is very robotic and very just so well done. And at this point as well, there is enough human beings that have left the matrix. They have formed a city called the city of Zion. And that's kind of the other secondary motivation of the agents as well is to basically extract the security codes from somebody from Zion who's entered the matrix for whatever reason so that they can basically hack into the city and kill all of the humans in there because they don't serve any purpose to the machines at this point and if anything have a negative impact on the mm-hmm. machines living yeah and that kind of goes into like the technological aspect of AI where if a program is given a certain task how far will it go and like will they be so stuck on the like their programming that they will do anything to complete it which is within like the ai problems that we actually see discussed in the real world Mm -hmm. where we're actually worried about an ai doing what agent smith is doing basically yeah so i think at this point it's probably a good idea to kind of quickly set up our our main characters here we've kind of talked about them a little bit already we've got uh neo thomas anderson who's kind of our main character who may or may not be the one we've got trinity who's kind of helped uh pull neo out and at this point is kind of his ship 
mate almost essentially because they they have like a ship out in the real world basically that navigates through the tunnels of the 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 old world where the humans used to live and the the machines took over yeah yeah and the ship's called the nebuchadnezzar so morpheus is the captain of the nebuchadnezzar and he's very rooted in his beliefs and he's very sure of himself in his beliefs he believes that he will find the one who will end the war between humans and machines we've got agent smith who is the main agent and has the most screen time with the agents there. All right, we've got Cypher. He was yeah. another person on the ship, basically. But Cypher's motivations are a little bit more sinister than the rest. He isn't as enthused about the idea of living in the dark, dystopian world of the real world, where the Matrix is is really a utopia, basically, compared to that type of living yeah it's modeled after 1999 the peak of human civilization the peak of human civilization (laughs) and lastly we have the oracle and the oracle is this all-knowing being within the matrix that provides prophecies and guidance to the people of zion to help their efforts in the war and push them forward to finding the one and ending this war. She's not necessarily all knowing, but she can see certain things that the computers, the AI can't see. The machines don't understand humans and the way humans interact. Whereas the Oracle can see and understand what humans motivations might cause them to do and where that might lead them. Yeah, I mean, we can, I think, get into as as far as we want, basically, because this is the primer, right? Mm. So the Oracle is a program created and designed by the machines. And the main purpose of the Oracle originally was to be an investigator of human behavior, to essentially understand the human race, basically. And if you think about it, think about a supercomputer today, that knows in and the ins and outs of how to play chess essentially so the computer learns all of the different moves and processes in chess to the point where it can beat even the most experienced chess humans in the world so the oracle is kind of a similar in that sense where the oracle's prime directive is understanding the human race so uh, the way i kind of see the oracle is somebody who can see the human race and understand all of the the processes going on in the human mind to be able to calculate different probabilities of certain things happening. And because the Oracle understands what those probabilities are, can see the next steps in the chain. So she's almost kind of playing everyone 10 steps ahead of everything going on because she's got that processing power to essentially understand, okay, well, if this choice is made then this is going to happen, which probably results in this. But if this doesn't, and probably has just a million things going on, but as yeah. things go, like it's it's like a decision tree yeah. that's constantly moving, yeah. essentially. So the way I see it is that they said in the movie that she sets you on a path. On that path, you're going to face certain decisions. And so she's basically a program that says, if you do this, you should go down this path because that's what you want and that's what you're asking of me. Yeah. And so if you go down this path, you will face certain decisions and based on what she understands of humanity, 
that path is the correct path to find what you're looking for at that time that you ask her. And the the oracle is also very cautious to tell people things before they're ready to, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of the first time that Neo goes to see her because that's kind of uh, a step in the process of becoming the one. And Morpheus believes very heavily in the oracle and the prophecies that the oracle gives to people so when neo goes to see the oracle because he himself isn't ready to believe that he is the one at that point in Mm -hmm. time that the oracle doesn't tell him he's the one essentially goes along with neo's idea that he is not the one but she gives him a choice and and this is something that she kind of harps on a little bit more in the second movie, that often the choice has already been made by the time you're considering your options, basically. Mm. It's, it's interpreting why you made the choice or why it matters, basically, from there kind of thing. And it really puts emphasis on the fact that choice is very human. Like, right. Like, it's essential to... Like, if she was human, she would probably just tell the, um, whoever asks her, like, she would tell them the answer. But because she understands what humans are like, she's like, you have to make that choice. Like I said, the Oracle also gives out prophecies. So there are kind of three main prophecies that we learn about throughout the first movie. The first is that Morpheus was to be the one who would discover the one. Yeah. The second was that Trinity would eventually fall in love with the one. And the third was that Neo might not be the one. However, there would come a time when he has to choose between his own life and Morpheus's. Mm -hmm. At this point in time, if if we want to kind of tie this a little bit more to the plot, we've gotten to the point where Morpheus has taken neo to go see the oracle because morpheus values the input of the oracle so much he needs to know whether this is the one whether he's finally found it because we kind of get hints that morpheus has taken out people in the past thinking that they could be the one and it hasn't worked out that way i don't know how heavily he believes neo is the one but it's it's quite strong at this point but anyways yeah absolutely and I found here the quote that I wanted to kind of bring up about the prophecy. The, the big overarching prophecy, essentially. There was a man born inside the Matrix who had the ability to change whatever he wanted to remake the Matrix as he saw fit. And after he... And this was when the first Matrix was built. And after he died, the Oracle prophesied his return and that his coming would hail the destruction of the Matrix, the end of the war, and bring freedom to the people of Zion. So we kind of get all this. It's a little heavy-handed. There's there's a lot going on here. And from here, kind of on the side, we've got Cypher also kind of brokering some deals with the Smiths and the agents to kind of jack him back into the matrix he wants to forget about the whole idea of the real world and just go back to living his ignorant life and bliss the way that you get jacked into the matrix and come out of the matrix is essentially through cell phones um you have to kind of connect to 
They're or not sorry, cell not phones. cell phones. Uh, this is 1999. This then. is 1999, the peak of human civilization. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> the they basically phone booths. yeah landlines essentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you have to be you have to essentially connect to the matrix, almost like a dial-up kind of thing. So on the way out, after they visited the Oracle, is when basically Cipher betrays the group. Yeah. And there's kind of uh, the scene where he's basically gotten out of the Matrix first, and then at that point in time, all of the agents have pinpointed the location of the crew of the Nebuchadnezzar in within the Matrix world. He's he's killed the crew of the Nebuchadnezzar who wasn't inside into jacked into the Matrix, and then he starts one by one, kind of unplugging each of the crew of the Nebuchadnezzar, which basically breaks the connection between your mind and your body, which kills you. Yeah. So because when you go into the Matrix and your body is outside and you're jacked in, your mind living in the Matrix, yeah, it, that is kind of your life essence or whatever you want to call it. So if that uh, gets disconnected, if you die in the matrix, when your body is outside of it, you die in real life. Yeah. It's severing connection between your mind and your body. Essentially. Yeah. 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 So just before he pulls the plug on Neo, was it dozer or tank? One of the two just in the nick of time saves Neo's life. And kills Cypher right there. At this point in time as well, we've got Morpheus, who's been captured by agents. Mm -hmm. And Trinity and Neo are kind of on their own a little bit. But they survive. They get back to the real world on the Nebuchadnezzar. This is the point in time where Neo has to make that choice. His own life or Morpheus's. because the choice that the Oracle set him on the path. Yeah. To eventually make. Yeah. 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 Because at this point in time to, to save Morpheus is essentially a a suicide mission because they're heading into prime agent territory. We've already been told at this point that the agents are essentially unkillable machines that no human has ever killed before. They're just way faster, way stronger. Yeah. Yeah, just everything. They seem to be impossible to touch, basically. And Neo, at this point, has basically been told that he's probably not the one. Mm -hmm. And that this suicide mission is basically to save Morpheus or to save himself. But But Morpheus, the Oracle kind of put emphasis on the fact that Morpheus is so important because he believes so much and he he is supposed to find the one. Yeah. So he, yeah, uh, Neo decides overall to go on this suicide mission. Throughout the journey of saving Morpheus, he he begins to believe in himself yeah. essentially and believe in his own abilities basically and he begins to push the limits of his abilities as well. It's not I can't do this like we see Thomas Anderson in yeah. the first 20 minutes of the movie. It's yeah. I'm going to try and see what happens basically. And, and I believe that this is worth it, so I'm going to do it. Yes. And then that leads him to finally realize that shit, he might be the one. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So we save Morpheus. This is where Neo really comes into his own. He starts believing and he he believes in the choices. He understands that he understands that those choices that he made led him to this point. 
and the belief and the choices kind of converge into his understanding of what the matrix is, what it's like to be a human in the matrix and what it's like to be the one. Mm-hmm. And, or at least, yeah, at this point he knows he's the one. Cause he just, as soon as he did the, the matrix in yeah. air quotes, um, he like Trinity looks at him and he's like, she says, I've never seen anyone move as fast as you just did. That's like as fast as the agents move. Yeah. And then from there, he has an amazing fight sequence with agent Smith. Yeah. Where I believe that's where he actually like breaks the agent's glass, his uh, sunglasses. And like, they have an amazing fight scene in the train station. And then that carries over because Trinity gets out and it's just Neo and yeah, Agent so, Smith back in there. So we've we've completed the rescue mission. We're on our way out of the Matrix to get out of there once and for all because the heat is on. All oh, of the yeah. agents are in pursuit. So we've got the telephone scene in the subway where Morpheus leaves and then Trinity goes to the phone. And at that exact moment, an agent shows up and basically shoots the phone yeah, uh, so yeah. that Neo can't leave. And then this is where we get basically the face-off, the big face-off between Smith and Neo. So they have the fight scene in the train station, and then they have a f- another fight scene later. Like, it carries over yeah, it carries to over, another building. The other agents, he's basically being, he's trying to escape, and the there's more and more agents kind of piling mm. in and trying to stop him. And, and this leads to his death. He gets shot. Yeah, he dies. Yeah, he gets shot. And that's it. And that's it. <laughs> the end of the movies. There's no more. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, and then that's where we get Trinity's kind of love scene, which we talked about not necessarily loving in the other podcast, where Trinity says, you can't die because I am in love with you, and the prophecy is that I'd fall in love with the one, basically. Yeah, yeah. So she kisses him out in the real world, which causes his heart to start again, and he gets back up, and he kills Agent Smith right then and there. Basically. And it's over. And it's over. <laughs> <laughs> no, he, that's, so he has this major, again, fight scene as soon yeah. as he wakes up, where he fully, like, he, he, he's He's fully, fully the one. Yeah. He stops bullets from like even hitting him. Like yeah, he stops yeah. them in their path basically yeah. by freezing them in the air. Yeah. Like his previous fight scene, he was 99.99% like Lysol or something like that. Yep. But then, uh, yeah, as soon as he wakes up, he's a hundred percent and he jacks into the matrix and he can see the green code yeah. and, um, understands all and then just destroys Agent Smith there. And this is where, essentially, he's reborn, basically, as the one. Yeah. Which kind of a little bit starts to fulfill the prophecy. So so we're almost done with the first movie here. There's a few clarifying things that I want to bring up. The first being a little bit how the agents operate in, within the Matrix and how that kind of impacts the death of Smith and how why that's relevant. First of all, there seems to be kind of a set number of agents, and there's always only one of each agent, essentially. They're unique. They're unique, yeah. And so the way that agents move around, because, you know, these agents need to be wherever they need to be very quickly, as 
things change within the matrix and maybe outsiders are jacked into the matrix, etc., is they basically assimilate with regular human beings living in, within the matrix. They jack into whoever that person's body is within the matrix. They take over these other people's bodies. Yeah, essentially, in order to get to where they need to be very quickly. So part of the reason why it's so hard to kill an Asian and why no one's ever done it before as well is when you kill an agent, you're not actually killing the agent. You're just killing the host of the body that the agent has taken over. And we see that when Trinity kills the agent on the roof during the Morpheus breakout scene. yeah. Yeah. When she shoots the agent, it's not the agent who falls down and dies. It's actually the pilot to the helicopter on top of the roof who the agent kind of jacked into his body, essentially. Mm -hmm. So, and why this is relevant is because at the end, we see Neo, instead of trying to shoot the agents, he actually jumps right into Smith. Like, he literally jumps into his chest and kind of inserts himself into his body, basically. He inserts his code. Yeah. His genetic code. Yeah, he inserts his code, basically, and just explodes agent smith all over the place kind of thing yeah and that is a a very final way to kill an agent or so we think yeah and it's somewhat erotic based (laughs) on blake's description you you can read into that however you want i guess as a viewer (laughs) is there any other kind of big pieces that we want to talk about any actually there's one quote that i want to bring up really quickly from the first one and i actually i've never caught this before i mean i've heard the quote but i never caught the meaning of it until i was doing my hardcore research today the scene with the oracle and neo and neo's trying to decipher whether or not he's the one Mm -hmm. she's like okay are you gonna ask the question or like what do you think and he's like i'm not the one and she goes sorry kid maybe in the next life and then he yeah. dies and comes yeah. back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And actually, I don't want to dive too deep into theories here. I I want to do that a little bit later and stay into, like, here's what we know and, and maybe what we don't know. But I do want to quickly touch on this a little bit. We often see the Oracle baking cookies. Yeah. And actually, in the second movie, as we're going to talk about, food can be a way to transfer data and so there is maybe something there to the oracle's cookies where she might have given neo something that would regenerate him upon Mm. upon death or something like that that's a pretty hardcore theory yeah or even maybe something to maybe make him the one or something like that honestly that's something that i think a computer program like the oracle might understand about humans is how important food is to us as a civilization as mm-hmm. a as a species or whatever yeah so that's a pretty cool little theory because we do see food called back in different various ways later. yeah it's important to the characters and it's important to different plot points as well yeah yeah and in, in a way that it wouldn't be in a lot of other films. Yeah, yeah. For example, within the first film, the importance of tasting that steak for mm-hmm. Cypher. He's like, oh, I know this isn't a real steak, but damn, does it taste good. 
Yeah, I think that's a pretty good explanation of the original Matrix. If we have any other stuff that we think of as we get through the next films, we'll bring it up too. But yeah, so let's, let's get go. into it. Yeah, let's do it. The Matrix Reloaded. So this film, it opens with Neo having a dream about Trinity being killed by an agent, essentially. And this is kind of haunting his dreams. And at this point in time, we're about six months from the events of the first film. So Neo's kind of come into his own. They've visited Zion. And that's where humanity is essentially holed up to eventually maybe wage some war against the machines or rescue everyone outside of the matrix essentially yeah like they're currently surviving there and they're planning to thrive through whatever means are necessary yeah and and we're talking like deep underground basically i think at one point they say near the core of the earth where it's still warm essentially yeah, yeah they're they're living basically in the like sewer systems and the maintenance channels of this old technologically advanced world that died mm -hmm. where the humans and machines kind of were living together and they just burrowed very deep into the earth to build all of the things that were running their society mm -hmm. up until the war. Right. So they're living like deep underground. The only place that's left left available to them that's a far enough away from the machines yeah so in the opening scenes we get a meeting of the captains so all of the different captains of the ships kind of out about doing different levels of surveillance essentially we kind of hear a bit of a discussion back and forth about how their orders are to all return to zion because one of the captains has received word from a separate ship that there are about 250,000 sentinels approaching Zion from, uh, from the top of the earth, which is effectively a machine for every human being living on Zion. So, so we're talking about a genocide, essentially, uh, coming to take place in Zion. Yeah, and these sentinels are like squid-like flying creatures that are not creatures, they're machines, and they're just extremely fast and brutal. So so they're like the perfect combat machines that have been created by the machine world to hunt any human that's ever kind of gotten out of the Matrix, essentially, mm -hmm. and, and effectively take down these ships that are traversing the underworld and and kind of doing those reconnaissance missions or jacking into the matrix. So that's something important to note is that the machines can pinpoint the location of the people in the real world based on where they're connected through in yeah. the matrix. So it's basically strictly forbidden to have that connection within Zion because you would bring the whole machine army down on yeah. Zion that way. So so we essentially also have to have those connections outside of Zion in order in the ships. Yeah, in the ships in order to basically try to stay one step ahead of the machines. Yeah. So so we've got this meeting and this is kind of when Smith appears uh, in a silhouette and his voice is unmistakable mm -hmm. and he drops off the headpiece and he says to the man who's kind of at the door standing security on this major meeting that he's got this message to neo that he's finally being set free kind of thing oh that's what i was going to talk about the first movie god damn it i let's we go were, let's go all right we're going back to the first movie really quick because this is something that's actually really important because 
while they've captured Morpheus, there's kind of, there's a whole torture process involved here. And as we mentioned, the agent's kind of secondary purpose is to find the keys to Zion in order to basically unlock the path to Zion and go and kill the humans. So this is where we get the back and forth here. We get Agent Smith who has his one-on-one with Morpheus. And his monologue. And his epic monologue where he basically just puts out his hatred for the human race basically yeah. out on the table and talks about how how he hates being kind of trapped in this world of of having to live amongst the humans essentially yeah. and how he wants to be free of his primary purpose currently and and live like separate from these humans these vile yeah. disgusting stinky human beings yeah. basically and that, that's really where they delve i think most deep in the first movie into the idea of this ai that is very adaptable so mm-hmm. agent smith and his program were programmed to search out these humans but over his experience and every little interaction he had with humans, he just hated them more and more. Yeah. So he was learning as he was going. So so this is kind of really important because, A, we, we saw Smith die in the first film, and mm. and B, he's come back and he's he's thanking Neo for being set free. So this is, this is a very sinister opening to the film. Mm-hmm. We get after this, the agents kind of lock in on the meeting. Everybody has to leave and get in their ships and and kind of get away kind of thing. But they leave one ship kind of out in out floating around in the real world while all the other ships go back to Zion based on orders. They were all supposed to head back to kind of defend the city. But Morpheus was like, no, we have to keep one ship to help Neo. Morpheus believes that the Oracle is going to give them some further information on how to end the war, essentially. Mm. So so we get back to Zion, which is this massive mechanical city. It's protected by these huge metal gates and, and mechs and turrets, the whole gambit, basically. It looks like an, an unpenetrable fortress, essentially, in the middle of the Earth. Yeah, like they're deep underground in these like dome cities that are like carved out with so many mechanical things that they've repurposed Mm -hmm. for their needs. Yeah. And so I'm going to talk a little bit a little bit more in depth about Zion later because it's, it's not quite important to the whole plot points here, but it is something important to kind of understand about the city itself a little bit later. Kind of our next step in the in the film here is is more dreams by Neo, mm. and and at this point you know we're we haven't seen any of his dreams come to fruition necessarily, but we see him dreaming about a crew member aboard the other ship out in the world, and one of the crew members named Bane is converted. He's kind of pinned down by Smith, and. Kind of almost in the same way that Neo kind of hops into Smith. Smith kind of puts his hand into the body of Bane and converts him into another Smith agent as a clone. Kind of separate from what we've seen the agents able to do in the past. Yeah, so previously we had only been able to see agents that hop into another body. Yeah, and so at this point in time it's kind of a question of did this person because after we see Bane take the phone, the Smith Bane, and leave the Matrix, and that's when Neo wakes up. 
So, again, we don't necessarily know if this is true or not at this point, and if it's even possible for someone who doesn't exist in the real world to be able to hijack another person yeah. and get out of the Matrix. Kind of, we're back in Zion, and this is where uh, Neo gets sent a message from the Oracle that he needs to come right away to see her, essentially. But and they have a rave first, right? Yeah, we don't need to talk about that at all. <laughs> Not important at all to the But the, the rave, man. No, no, the rave. Okay, let's move on. So he goes to find the Oracle, and instead he finds a man named Seraph who challenges Neo to fight him, in, and he must match Seraph in battle to essentially gain access to the Oracle. He has to make him believe, essentially, that he's the one. So we see this fight, and they match combat basically and then and he's able to gain backdoor access to the matrix so we learn that seraph is a program and he's protecting the oracle he's he's kind of like a firewall is what you yeah. could think of it so as. so if we were to look into it deeper which i have a little bit seraph is um a term for an angel in biblical senses which there are themes which i talked we talked about in the first podcast about this yep. so there are christianity um parallel themes within the matrix so seraph is kind of like a head angel yep. that is like right below like archangels or um potentially a god figure yeah so within the film it makes sense that he is the protector before the oracle yeah and that's actually referenced here and there throughout the film it's yeah. kind of little tidbits that you get and i love the little tidbits in the films that kind of add to the overall story if you're paying attention and it, they're not they don't necessarily in uh they're not necessarily important to the plot but they enhance the story mm -hmm, they enhance mm -hmm. the world and that there is callbacks to that especially with the merovingian that we'll get to yes. later yeah so Basically, he provides his Pactor access to the Matrix, which takes them directly through a series of doors in the background. Think like uh, a back hallway at a stadium, something like that. Mm. And and we go and see the Oracle. And this is where we learn, confirm, that the Oracle is a program developed by the machines. Yeah. And this is, again, where the, the conversation of choice really becomes kind of heavy-handed here, where Oracle, the Oracle says to Neo that you're not here to make a choice. You're here to understand the choices that you've already made. And th this is where the second movie is, again, very much about the power of choice, and even whether we have any choice or not. Yeah, like, free will is kind of, like partially talked about it's not exactly they're not hitting you over the head with it right but the the concept of choices and the paths that you take to those choices is kind of it's very central very yeah. central yes so this is kind of where we get our first mention of what's considered the path of the one and and the path of the one is essentially how the the one will end the war and and where the war ends is at what's called the source and that's where basically the the head of the matrix where the matrix and the machine world kind of all coalesce as one kind of join there and all the all of the things main things kind of running is is out of there so the the oracle says to the 
that, to Neo that he needs to basically get to the source. And the way he's going to get to the source, with the help of a program named the Keymaker, who has special access to the source through the Matrix. The problem is, though, right now, is the Keymaker's not so easy to access. He's being held against his will by the Merovingian, who's this kind of other program who's gone rogue. He's kind of doing his own thing, separate from what the machines are doing, and he's living large. He's kind of the big, bad gangster boss in the Matrix world. And if Neo can convince the Merovingian to give him access to the Keymaker, then he can end the war by going to the source, is what the Oracle tells him. Yeah, and basically the Merovingian is like the mob boss of like the underworld of the Matrix. Mm -hmm. And so he can... He's very comfortable, this guy. Yeah. He, he doesn't need to do anything for anybody unless it's going to serve his purposes. Mm-hmm. So why would he help anyone else? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So it's it's quite a challenge that he has to overcome, obviously. Yeah, th- this isn't an easy challenge. So, so at this point in time, this is where Seraph tells the Oracle... Hey, we got to go right now. Something's about to happen. And so the Oracle says, all right, I'll see you later. And so the Oracle and Seraph head back through the door to go back into the back end of the Matrix and get away. And Smith shows up. And Of course. And then Smith shows up. And then Smith shows up. And then more Smith. And then about 40 other Smiths shows up. Yeah. And we get this epic fight scene between neo and all the smiths that was super cool it was good it is starting to show its age a little bit in 2021 uh, no the, the cgi they really reached for the limits of cgi in, at that in time 2000, in the yeah. 2000s yeah yeah it wasn't that much of a stretch from the first movie and at like if you were watching it at that time it was phenomenal yeah and watching it now there's a little bit of like not lagginess to it but like it's still very good yeah it's great i i have a lot of fun with the fight scene that happens the again i'm gonna poke a little bit of theory into this one Mm. that because there's all these these smiths in here and they're not part of the matrix that the reason why things start to look a little weird is because the matrix is rendering essentially exactly yeah yeah and you really do have to think about a lot of what's going on in sort of computer terms Mm -hmm. because they are in a simulation yeah and and agent smith has been freed from his initial purpose of hunting down zion operatives essentially or or people who are considering leaving the matrix or those glitches those anomalies in the matrix Mm. he now wants to destroy the matrix itself yeah yeah so he's kind of replicating and doing his own thing outside of what the machine's intentions are he's realizing his glorious purpose or something like that i don't know if i did the voice right but like goddamn his voice man yeah yeah Mr. Anderson. Oh, that was a good one. That was a good one. I've been saying that for like two years. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So at this point, Smith tries to convert Neo. Neo kind of is able to stop him from taking over Neo's body and ending the whole series right there. 
and we get this fight. Neo eventually just ends up flying away because there's no way he's going to beat 40 Smiths. There's just no way. And there's more than 40, I feel like. Oh, there's like 100 yeah, by then, yeah. yeah. Because it starts with one Smith, and then he brings in... He, like, sees another person, he brings them in, and yeah. then he just keeps bringing in new Smiths that he's transforming everybody that is in the area yeah. into more Smiths. And it's just, and they're like piling on. It's and wild. Yeah. It, because because we keep getting more. Like there'll be like the fight, and there'll be like twelve of them there. And yeah. We're fighting twelve. Yeah. And then and then one will look at the other, and he'll be like, "We'll need more." And then yeah. suddenly like doors will open. Yeah. And there'll be like dozens like fleeing in and everything. Yeah. It's yeah. a fun fight scene. And, it's a fun and, fight like, scene. And like Neo like grabs the bar. Like yeah, the, steel bar the bar and is just awesome. Like and then he's spinning around. around like kicking them all. Yeah, and everything. yeah. So Neo gets away, and then we kind of go back to Zion, where the council is getting anxious and waiting to hear from Neo because we've got a, an army coming towards us. We've got Neo out there trying to come up with a way to stop the war. And the council is being, they're basically humans who are trying to remove their human emotions and mm -hmm. think logically because that's their enemy they're thinking about how these machines are thinking well so, there's opposing thoughts even and i want to get into this yeah. a little bit later i want to get into the some of the mentalities and everything over there yeah so they come to a consensus then at this point to send two ships to determine the whereabouts of neo and kind of get an update on what's going on so at this point we kind of head back to the matrix and we go see the Merovingian, who's a program who, again, he's kind of this head mob boss guy. He's decided French is his his identity. favorite identity. Yes. So he's he's converted himself into a Frenchman, essentially. And we get into kind of a really good discussion about the idea of choice versus obedience or causality, basically. And the Merovingian's outlook on, on humanity and life and, and everything is very different than the Oracle's. He believes that everything happens for a reason. And even if we don't understand what that reason is, there is a reason and a logic behind every everything that happens. It's, it's all about the cause and the effect, basically. And it's he's a, very excited by that fact. Yes, yes, he's very excited about that fact. And that's kind of where we see... He uses food as programming to kind of maybe hijack people's emotions or or change individual humans' programming, essentially. Mm -hmm. So so he goes and he commits infidelity against his wife and on the way out says, I ain't helping any of you. Nobody's getting key access to the key maker and everybody can suck it, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so... Cool character. Great character. Yeah, I yeah. love the Merovingian. Yeah. And he's returning for the fourth movie. I think there's a very high chance that he's going to be the main villain in the, the fourth movie. It so. makes sense, but once you go farther into the theories and everything about like what he represents yes. and compared to what we already know Neo to represent mm -hmm. and the one. So yeah, it's a, him returning makes complete sense. Yeah, he's one of my favorite characters who's introduced in the second and third movies. I really enjoyed the Merovingian. Mm. And and his kind of... He just is so smug. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, he's just a great character. Yeah. So, the Merovingian chooses not to help Neo and instead goes and commits some infidelity casually in front of his wife. Well, of course. Um, his 
wife, in an act of vengeance against uh, the Merovingian, decides to assist Neo Trinity and Morpheus by taking them to the Keymaker at uh, the Merovingian's mansion. And so the way they do this is through a special key that she has that can open a door from one location to another. Very similar to how Seraph kind of can move between areas within the Matrix. They get the Keymaker. Everything's great. Until it's not, the Merovingian shows up at home. Uh, of course. Because they've kind of sent word to him. His his other bodyguards have sent word to him. So he shows up with a dozen different uh, bodyguards. Does he not have these two main guys? Yeah, the two, twins are there the too. The twins, of yeah, course. The twins yeah. are there too. And just as an, another side, the, uh, his wife is named Persephone. Yeah. Which is, again, historically, um, she's the... That's a Greek god, right? Yeah, she's the daughter of Zeus and Demeter, and she became queen of the underworld after her abduction by Hades, mm. which, theory-wise, makes sense. I'll, we'll continue into this fight scene, because it's absolutely amazing. Yes. So, yeah, that a very perfect way to describe uh, the Merovingian's wife there, absolutely. So, yeah. the Merovingian, he drops a very relevant line as they're leaving and he says your predecessors had so much more respect when Ah, i saw them last which is our first hint that maybe things aren't all what they seem yeah um so we get a really crazy awesome mansion fight there's all sorts of weapons involved basically neo takes on all the different guards all at once who are basically ex-agents uh Mm -hmm. for for simplicity's sake and he allows trinity morpheus and the keymaker to get away them uh them getting away leads to one of the greatest um chase scenes and action scenes of moving vehicles of all oh, time. Oh, the greatest car top 5 greatest car scenes. Yeah. Maybe a little over long, but oh, um, Come on. <laughs> it's, uh. It could be a little over long. However, it is amazing. It's bombastic. There's explosions, there's cars smashing and, into cars and they were like, really flipping these cars yeah. they, they were oh, really yeah. all the oh, yeah. all the practical <laughs> effects were on point yeah oh it sure. wasn't all cgi it, it was, was not all cgi it was all like very real oh yeah and we've got people jumping from transport truck to transport truck jumping off like, of transport trucks over bridges i feel motorcycles, like motorcycles yeah, over yeah. bridges under bridges oh yeah there's one of the greatest car scenes of all time. Not at all relevant to The Matrix 4, probably. But if you want to watch it, it's probably on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. Watch that scene. But honestly, that kind of stuff gives essence to The Matrix. And yep. it will be re- relevant to a certain degree. Yeah, yeah. What I really actually... There is one thing that I really want to talk about the car scene. Is for the first time, we actually see that there's a lot of opposing sides within The Matrix. Mm. Because not only do we have the zion operatives the the, our trio here of trinity morpheus and neo we have the merovingian the merovingian's bodyguards essentially we've got or his henchmen we've got the agents and we've got agent smith so we've got four different groups here all vying to either kill another group take the key maker there's there's a lot of opposing ideas going on power structures going on here like the it's complicated vying for power yeah Yeah. there's there's a lot happening so you're right this car chase is pretty crucial and we do this is kind of 
where we get the best of the twins as well. Yeah, like the, yeah, the, yeah. The, the twins chasing is is really epic. They're they're such a good enemy. Like they they're fantastic. Yeah. The way they phased in and out of the they're re- ghosts. Yeah, yeah. The they phased in and out of the reality of the current situation. Yeah through walls or uh whatever and so they could um did one of them not just like they saw a car coming behind them and they just like hopped in the driver's seat yeah so so he's there's at one point one of the uh twins is able to get in the car where trinity morpheus and the keymaker are trying to escape and so we get this fight scene between morpheus in the front seat and the twin in the back which is kind of a callback to real life uh with your parents driving you somewhere (laughs) (laughs) that's completely fair yeah yeah and and so so just as morpheus is about to get the upper hand he basically forces the twin to have to kind of go into ghost mode phase out and so he flies back and then the other twin kind of comes up and he phases back in inside of the other car essentially so there are rules to this too right like you you can't just you're not uh supermaning it like uh neo is and that's actually a direct reference so Mm, (laughs) somebody calls uh neo supermaning so but anyway we uh we get away there's a close it's a close but we do get away so the Nebuchadnezzar group kind of regroups with the other two ships that have gone to look for them. And at this point, the Keymaker kind of explains what they need to do to get Neo to the source. And essentially, each crew is kind of given a task uh, to go and do within the Matrix to basically allow accessibility to the source uh, via the Keymaker. And and basically, what the, the main group has to do of Morpheus... Neo and the Keymaker is get to uh, a location where the Keymaker can essentially open a door that accesses the source. At this point in time, where each crew, again, has different kind of objectives to play here and are off doing their own thing, as well, Neo asks Trinity not to enter the Matrix because this is where Neo's thinking. This, this is, is where she's going to die. If, because if the dream from the very first sequence, yes, because he's the dream expecting the it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So this is this is where he says, you please, please do not enter the Matrix because mm-hmm. I'm really worried about you. And that, again, it's it very much reiterates the choices, mm-hmm. the the impact of choices. Mm-hmm. So he's he's basically saying, like, please do not do this. In the same way that um, people were telling him previously, like, don't go on the suicide mission. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, but the choice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. So we get this scene where everybody's racing against time in order to unlock all of the keys to get to the source, to the door that the key maker is going to open. And one crew succeeds. But the other crew is tragically killed by Sentinels in the real world. So they're not even aware of what's going on out in the real world. Mm. But a a group of Sentinels have found their ship and kill them all. And so Trinity, who can... You can view the Matrix while you're in the real world. You can view it on the screens, basically. And so she sees... Yeah, through the code. You're essentially reading code. And Trinity sees this, sees that they failed, and thinks... I have to go into the Matrix because I'm the only one who can enter. I'm the only one that knows what's happening. I have to get in there to basically 
keep the plan in motion. And she knows how badass she is. Yeah. Like, goddamn. So, Neo, Matrix, and the Keymaker head to the location of the door to the source, and they're, again, ambushed by agents and Smith. There's all this different power struggles going on, and we eventually get to where the door is. The Keymaker opens the door to the source, and then he's shot dead by the Smiths and Mm -hmm. closes the door so that Neo and Morpheus are alone to get to the source. And the Keymaker says... Well, Morpheus, take this door. It'll lead you out of the Matrix and back to the real world. Neo, take the door. You're meant to be go to the source to end yeah. the war, basically. Yeah. Oh. Both of them go through their doors. Neo enters and comes face-to-face with Colonel Sanders. Yeah, Colonel Sanders. It was KFC yeah. the whole time. <laughs> it was K- Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> no, it's actually the architect who yeah. looks like Colonel Sanders. And there was a lot of jokes in the other 2000s about that. Oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah. That's hilarious. You don't remember that? No, no. I, oh, like, man. I, I, was, I was seven or eight <laughs> yeah, at the time. True. No, I was 10 probably. When, no, no. Some really great seven comedy comes Anyways, out of this yeah, scene. Yeah. You, there's some really great comedy yeah, in there. Yeah, and honestly, I very much understand what you're talking about because <laughs> like, they, he was not menacing. No, he wasn't. No. He, he was cold and calculating. But more. yeah, yeah, he was. Uh, he did a good job. So the architect, we walk into a room, there's a bunch of TV screens everywhere, and we meet the architect, who is the creator of the Matrix, and we find out a lot of information here. This is where the doors of the Matrix are blown wide open, essentially. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we find out that Neo is actually the sixth iteration of the One. We're not dealing with the first rebellion of humans from this human race this is the six and this is the sixth version of the matrix and not a single other human being except for maybe one knows about this we learn that the key fault in the matrix the reason why there's been this ongoing power struggle is the concept of human choice and that one percent of humans reject the matrix and it actually used to be much higher before the creation of the oracle they're what's known as the anomalies. And so, again, the Oracle was created to be an investigator of human behavior, a direct kind of connection to all of this process and all of these past iterations and why the Matrix is still operating the way it is. So it's a little bit, she has a little bit of a sinister role here. So once the anomalies reach a critical mass and the Matrix beca- begins to become unstable, the machines basically select a random human being to give a special code to essentially making that person the sum of all the anomalies Mm. within the matrix all of the problems all the issues to be used to reboot the matrix and stabilize it again so neo has been put on this path of the one which the architects actually calls the prime program to guide the one to the source, essentially, to basically reset and continue this process so that the machines can stay dominant. Basically, like, you can think of Neo as, like, a physical representation of this unbalancement within the Matrix. Mm -hmm. So, again, callback, did Neo always have this, or was it implanted in him? Which, and it kind of sounds like it does. Did the Oracle plant him with it with a cookie? We'll never know. Yeah, yeah. Interesting, interesting questions. And obviously this was like a, it was a feature, not a bug, mm-hmm. of the program. Because the bug they realized. Itself, 
the bug itself is the anomalies within the matrix the feature is the prime program Mm. which basically reboots the matrix in order to consistently like reset and and fix all of the issues within the matrix caused by human choice and humans who just can't accept the reality of the matrix Mm. The architect is essentially using a, the prophecy as a form of control to force Neo to reload the Matrix. So he gives him a non-option. He says, either accept that this is your purpose and come with me to the source where we're going to reboot the Matrix. We're going to kill every human being in Zion because we can't have that happening and they don't serve any purpose to us. And then what you're going to do is choose 23 individuals from inside the matrix and you're going to pull them out of the matrix and rebuild zion and when you die the oracle is going to prophesize your return and nobody has to know about the first six five iterations of this just as long as the human beings kind of keep going and we keep giving this this freedom of choice to leave the matrix and if you don't want to do that if, if you want to maybe go and save Trinity, because we know you're worried about her, well, we'll kill off everybody. Yeah, We're going to yeah. exterminate the human race. And Neo asks, but I thought we were a power source to you. And the mean Sheen says, we're willing to do other alternatives at yeah, this point yeah. kind of thing. And so this is a non-choice, right? And so this is kind of a very interesting concept, because even... The creation of the idea of the one as a messiah and pushing him towards that and mm. and putting this con complex within him is all a control motivator to connect him to humanity like deeply mm. and and then force him to sacrifice himself for the matrix and all of humanity it's really sinister it's yeah, kind of almost yeah. like a play on the bible a little bit there. it is and when you think far enough into it you're thinking that like the oracle obviously as just as smith has grown as a program mm-hmm. at certain points you want to think that uh the oracle was working for the machines yes and they she must have explained to or like transmitted the information to the machines mm-hmm. that humans do this thing where they have a messiah yeah so they run that in as a as a self de- self defense mechanism program where they're like okay if we give them this thing mm-hmm. they'll just keep doing that yeah and well, they they need that for some reason and you're completely right because bef- beforehand the the matrix has failed six times before and and every time and especially the first time we'll get into that later but without the oracle like we're talking mass failure all at oh, once yeah, kind of yeah. thing like the the machines just don't fully connect to humanity yet like they yeah. even with the ai they just don't fully understand yeah. why yeah like the very first or at least one of the first iterations of the matrix was a utopia yes not 1999 peak of <laughs> peak of humanity where yeah. I feel like in 1999 there was garbage everywhere, but everyone had a, like the beginnings of what might become a cell phone. Yeah, and um, the Nokia's yeah, which we yeah. talked about in the last podcast. Yeah, Nokia's and uh, the uh, like the idea of like a, it was like a Patrick Bateman type of society or something like that. Yeah. So this utopia didn't work. So then they set up this more struggle-like program. Mm-hmm. 
because people were in so there there's been variations of this where they've had to learn humanity over time so yeah yeah yeah, yeah exactly so at this point neo's given this non-choice of save save humanity or save trinity and everybody else dies and you two probably do too eventually anyway yeah. Neo knows for a fact that Trinity will die. He doesn't know if this is actually the rest of this is actually all true. So he decides rather than reloading the Matrix, he chooses Trinity. He chooses love, basically. And even even then, Neo's actually too late to save Trinity. She's already been shot in the heart. But he pulls the bullet out of her, and then she still dies. <laughs> and then after which he's able to reach into her heart and pump it back to life through the power of the one, essentially yeah. being able to manipulate the matrix. And they're able to both leave the matrix in peace. Yeah. We are then immediately attacked by sentinels who destroy the Nebuchadnezzar, the Nebuchadnezzar. And then we see Neo dispatch with his mind outside of the matrix for the first time, all of the sentinels coming to kill them. Which has the effect, yes, basically using the force, which yeah. has the effect of putting him into a coma. Yeah. To wrap that up, the crew are picked up by a separate ship and learn that the remaining ships in Zion were sent to destroy the Sentinels before they could reach Zion. But these ships were all destroyed after someone prematurely activated an EMP. Yeah. And the only survivor to all of these ships is one man. And that man is Bane. Bane. Who might be Smith. Yeah. And they're both in a coma, and that's how we end with the movie, is the slow pan of Neo in a coma on a bed to Bane right beside yeah. him in a, yeah. also in a coma. Oh, and man. What a cliffhanger. Yeah, yeah. And honestly, if, if you're thinking of this from the time of its release, yeah. the second movie, it was pretty crazy. Like, the, the first one... Set the bar. Yeah. And this one probably at least got close to the I, same bar. It, it stayed close to the same level. I, this isn't... People were still excited. This isn't the best of the four films that we're going to talk about, but it's a close second. I really yeah. enjoyed The yeah. Matrix Reloaded. It's they, a really good time. The it's the quality super... did not drop that much, no, it was if just, at all. Yeah, it was just... it was More of the same. Yeah, it just was more of the same, essentially. Yeah. But it was... It oh, continued, I, yeah. yeah. It's it's great. I love the second I movie. I very much, much enjoyed it. Yeah. The uh, But yeah. I will say that in terms of understanding the Matrix, the One, the War, the universe of the Matrix, this is the movie you need to watch, basically. Like, if you need to... If you want to understand what's going on... <laughs> And I've explained it as best I can, but it, it can get convoluted. But this is the film that really explains everything. And this mm -hmm. is actually, at the end here, I was going to kind of dive into a, a little bit about what we learned about Zion and the Matrix. Not crucial to the plot, but maybe something that you may need to know for later for the fourth movie. So We'll see, because we don't know the fourth movie yet, but know. we're very excited for it, and these things might help. Yeah, so what we learn from Zion on the second movie is that we see these opposing thoughts and ideas within Zion. So believing in prophecy versus believing in the real, like the military, the, the physical, the practical, yeah. And that there's a lot of back and forth between what should be the primary motivator yeah. of humanity. And, and they're, they're battling the idea of... They're fighting the machine. 
So some of them are trying very hard to think like the machine. And then the opposite of that is people who are going full on human where they're like, we have to separate everything that is machine so that we can go full human so that like when we go deep into what it means to be human, that's our salvation. While the other people are saying the, if we're going to fight machine, we have to think like machine. Right. Yeah, exactly. So we also get some backstory on Zion. So we see the engineering department. We understand that machines are still keeping the city running. So some of the more technical things in there with the rotter recycler, just just to understand that Zion basically is run by machines as well. And raves. Uh, <laughs> and raves. Uh, we also see the common people see Neo as a messiah. Yes. So there's often crowded hallways and people asking for blessings from Neo. He doesn't he, get a whole lot of downtime there. Yeah, he, he, he doesn't show up. He hasn't been in Zion very often. Mm-hmm. I think when we see him go there, it's probably like his second third or third time. time. Yeah, yeah, I would say. Yeah. And like people know about him and the poor and wretched of the society that is... Um, able to survive here mm-hmm. is leaving blessings at his door Yep. while he's going and getting laid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but th- th- those two things are important. <laughs> yes. <laughs> to a degree. All right. So other stuff we learned, uh, let's move on to what we learned about the matrix. So everything is programmed, including the birds, the winds, etc. Um, we learned about the rogue program. So in the past, we had ghosts and vampires who were maybe the agents instead of the the agents, the men in black that we have now, essentially. And these were in past iterations of the Matrix, and that's kind of what's imprinted on the human mind still. What we think about when we think about ghosts, and and what they've these rogue programs have done is essentially hid inside the matrix rather than facing deletion because they're obsolete now. Mm-hmm. And the Merovingians hedgemen are actually past iteration of these agents. So obviously the twins we've talked about as ghosts. Yeah. There's also some other guards within his, Posse. within his mansion who the Merovingians wife dispatches with silver bullets and mm. specifically says silver bullets. So we're led to, believe that these are essentially werewolves yeah yeah um interesting yeah so i didn't catch that yeah that's that's a cool little point yeah no it's very it's actually very important and there's other in kind of a lot of the supplementary material with the the video games and Mm. the comics and stuff there's a lot more it goes into a lot more detail about yeah. those. There's actually different warring factions between vampires and werewolves within the hmm. Matrix. So, so, yeah, within within programs and viruses and things like that, there are vampire attacks. Yeah. So I don't know much about if there are werewolf-type attacks, but there are vampire attacks that leech onto things within programming. So when you're looking at this whole universe of coding, like it's all code. Yep. So that makes complete sense. Um, I have a question, and I'm not sure if now is the time to ask. Throw it at me. So where did the Merovingian come from? Do you know? We don't know, and I've got a theory for that later. Okay. Do we? So do I mention what I think? Uh, Let's talk about theories later. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay, okay. What we do know is that the Merovingian is very old from a very, very old, like one of the first iterations of the Matrix. And he's been living 
outside of the control of the machines yeah, for a very yeah. long time. And that's where he's acquired all this power and all of his kind of henchmen, these rogue programs. Yeah. And, and all of this influence, essentially, within the Matrix. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And the Merovingian hates the Oracle. Just the principle of the Oracle, essentially, that some other powerful being could be within the Matrix, and that this powerful... And that they know, like, a step ahead of what's going on, at exactly. least with the humans. And that's one of the, yeah. the actual... The Merovingian's primary motives is to eliminate the, the Oracle yeah, so yeah. that he can pretty much grab hold of all the power that he can within the matrix he's yeah, kind of yeah. he's plateaued a little bit at this yeah, point yeah. but and like you can almost see that he's bored but also complacent within his life like mm-hmm. the way he's eating the way, and he's always eating yeah which goes back into the food thing yep oh great character i love the merovingian i'm yeah, very excited yeah. to see what they do with the him new, in the fourth the film. new iteration yeah the yeah, new iteration yeah. the only other thing i was going to bring up here was the first matrix again what you said designed as a utopia but almost all of humanity just completely rejected the idea yeah. of this program and that's where the oracle kind of was created in order to understand humanity humanity and what humanity required in order to accept the concept of the matrix and continue on as a battery source basically and the architect at this point also realizes that he basically needs an imperfect design of the matrix just like the imperfection of humanity and the failures of humanity he calls it yeah 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 uh that's all i got for the second movie so there's there's a lot to chew on in that there's that's probably the most plot heavy movie of the three yeah 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 really before we wrap up the Matrix Reloaded, there is one other character that we do have to quickly mention. Oh, and oh, it's Indy! It's Indy, my dog! Oh, Hi, she boys. actually came down for the first time to say hello. Yeah. Okay. She's not too scared of me. What are you doing? Oh, hi. Hey, can you say something for us? <laughs> no? No? Okay, she's, she's gone. At you. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Let's get back into it. <laughs> so. One character that we do have to mention really quickly because it probably is he's probably going to be relevant in the future is the kid. Um, so the kid is a freed mind, a a red pill mind living in Zion who was freed by Neo essentially. We don't know how that happened. Neo kind of defers that and says, "You freed yourself. It wasn't me," kind of thing. But this kid's kind of a fanatic. He he believes. Wholeheartedly. In, wholeheartedly in, in Neo. This kid is, is like so infatuated with the idea of Neo and wants to help Neo in any way possible, including basically trying to get on the Nebuchadnezzar or as a crew member, yeah. Yeah, as like a crew member. When when we are first introduced to them, he's probably like fourteen, fifteen. Oh uh, he was sixteen. No, he was 16 in the third movie. So that, when, this, No, no, this third movie happens right after. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. So he's 15, 16, mm-hmm. and he, like, rushes to, like, pick up whatever Neo is carrying or something mm-hmm. like that. He's, like, very servant-like almost in his fanaticism almost, yeah. and he just worships him. Absolutely. and And so it's just important to know that this is where this character originated from. And again, he firmly believes in Neo and everything Neo stands for and basically was also assisted in some way 
in leaving the matrix with neo so that's it let's wrap yeah. up the second movie we got to move into the third because we're, we're working through a lot of time here this is, this is gonna make me cry with how much editing i have to do yeah yeah for <laughs> sure 